This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Moonbasians. This is hey. Cass McPhee, and I'm here with Deej Silvis, and we're your co-producers for Moonbase Data Out. Uh, and we're here with another creator chat. Last time it was uh, Deej and Lehman, and uh, you know, sorry, we, we could just couldn't. He's just so busy and so so lovable and liked that we couldn't get him back. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're H.P. Lovecraft, Roger Bergato Fisher, and the mayor of a small Ohio town. Now that there are two producers, it seemed like, uh, you know, why not bring them in? And now mostly it'll be me asking Deej stuff because Deej has done most of the stuff, but uh, I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are a few places where we'll get some answers from you as well. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, what I was thinking <laughs> of starting off with was uh, uh, when I was listening to the previous chat, uh, you kind of went through a little bit of the process of how things got got all, got going for season one. Um, so why don't we kind of pick it up where we left off, like where you left off at that chat. We, there had been about 8,000 listens at that point. And you were talking about where you were going to go with season two. And it was, well, I think it was probably April that it came out around a year ago, right? Yeah, it was somewhere right around there, I believe. So you record your chat. Uh, you're feeling pretty good about it. Take us through kind of where you went when you started getting season two together. And then once we kind of talk through how season two came about, I'll, uh, I'll start asking some questions that folks have thrown at us. Oh, wow. Put me on the spot. Why don't you? Yeah. Um, season two, how it came about was really that, well, first of all, that we had people who actually cared about the show enough to make me want to do a season two. Mm. It was, I've mentioned several times before that season one was intended to be self-contained 20 episodes and out leave Roger, you know, lost there on base theta and walk away. But, um, people started getting invested in it. And so I was like, well, I could try to tell more, but you don't really know the other characters yet. You only know what Roger has said about them. And so I decided the only way to really keep telling the story was to do what turned out to be an entire second season that just focused on the same storyline. But we heard, um, the other characters, we heard Roger behind the scenes from his official reports, and we heard more from Alex on Earth, which was absolutely essential as well. So my first big thing was figuring out those people. I had referred to them all, but figuring out how I was going to create them, of course, figuring out how to cast them, which was mm -hmm. interesting. I had written very specific characters that I had to go and find actors who fit those types. So that was fun. And 
yeah, just working from what I thought I would want to know. I always do um, when I'm writing this stuff, I always start with a big file that's just like a bunch of random notes. And then I start finding ways that they organize and I started separating them into episodes and figuring out um, I decided to try to stick with monologues as much as I could. There are a few dialogue scenes now and then, but I, again, I felt like it was just such a good tool for getting to know a character that I wanted to stick with the monologue format as much as I could. So I decided that I would do, what was it the season? It was 10 episodes, right? <laughs> yes, it was 10 episodes. <laughs> I decided on a 10, 10, episode, so 10 episode season and I still wanted um, Roger to be a center of it. So I was like, okay, so Roger's going to be in every episode, but then how do I break up five other characters over 10 episodes? And so I gave each of them four episodes that they would be, they would appear in. And that sort of even things out. Sorry, I wanted to have the same number. And then I figured out how to tell their personal stories in four episodes. It's kind of a nice number to kind of uh, limit yourself to. Yeah, I think that um, I just, it helps to have a structure and it helps me at least to have a structure in place ahead of time. I certainly did for, for season one. So, but yeah, so I broke it all up like that. Although I do kind of break that a little bit in the finale because I bring Michelle in regardless, but. <laughs> I was like, Michelle deserves one more little hurrah, so to speak. <laughs> just just a little, just a little something at the end of it. He, he had the most kind of character movement, I think. Yeah, and I kind of felt like, too, in the season finale that I wanted to hear at least a little bit from everyone who was still awake, so still alive. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still, still awake, also most still alive, important. <laughs> But yeah, so that's sort of how I put it together structure-wise, and then I started writing things, and actually, um, I'm going to talk about this in one of the other answers as well, but sort of, we sort of structured the creation of the show the same way we did in season one with rehearsing bits and sending them back and sending them back to me, and I was doing revisions and everything. Yeah, and then I went to Australia for <laughs> the summer, well, for like, what was it, a month or something a couple of weeks three weeks or something and that was when i did like the bulk of the editing for the season so yeah that was interesting yeah. i was awake like three hours before my my in-laws my hosts and so i would try to like get the episodes edited and designed and everything well they were all asleep yeah so we have a question from holly who was wondering um how much harder it was to do the soundscape editing because uh, of course <laughs> season one was simple just roger and you know there are a couple little tiny things like a, a little oh we we lost the signal for a second kind of uh situations but uh other than that uh it was very simple so how how was it uh expanding that in season two yeah it was a pretty huge leap i had the first, because I did, like, there were those couple little times where we lost a signal or else I added a different sort of, like, beep in for Monty Sarah in season one. But I wasn't even doing any background noise or anything in season one. He was apparently editing all of his reports very well before he sent them out. <laughs> um, doing the soundscape in season two was a big difference. I had just started in one of the bonus episodes at the end of season one to add a few effects in. Just I was just starting to teach myself. But for season two, well, before I even talk about effects, it was a lot, took a lot more time editing takes from the actors as well, because Lehman and I, having had a working relationship together for well over a decade at this point, um, he 
pretty much knew from the scripts what I wanted and sent me takes that were very, um, very deliberate and very like complete. He, he's, he tends to just sort of like do one take and he's done. And I accepted that because he knew what the hell I wanted, (laughs) but adding all these other actors who had never, most of whom had never worked with me before. That was a lot different. And so I, wound up spending a lot more time helping to develop the characters through their work. And some of the actors work in different, I mean, every actor has a different style and would work in different ways and give me more ad libs and, or give me more alternate takes. So editing takes from the actors was a lot different from what I was used to, but then doing the actual design for the episodes was just a huge, huge thing for me. I added, first thing I did was I created sort of a room noise for every area on the base that I would have plugged into the backgrounds. And for some of them, it was pretty simple for like Michelle and Roger, it's fairly the same. It's just this little cubicle with air conditioning in the background. Hmm. But then for Nessa in the garden, it's fairly involved. And then um, the observatory, because I kind of assumed the observatory has a lot of um, moving parts and has a lot of stuff going on all the time like the controlling the um, telescopic arrays and everything. And so I had more sort of random noises in that soundscape. And then um, just sort of making little decisions, like what type of chair each person was sitting in. So I would add some chair noises and squeaks and slides and stuff. And then there were a few little fun things, like um, creating tardigrade noises. (laughs) Yeah, little squeak buddies. Yeah, there's really there was really nowhere to go from as far as like designing what noise uh, like giant tardigrade would make. <laughs> Do tardigrades make noise? Uh, like, I, obviously, it would be such a tiny amount of noise we wouldn't be able to hear it. But like, do they make noise as the normal size tardigrades? I have no idea. Like, I've never found anything where anyone talked about it. Again, because they're microscopic, I don't really know if it's something that anyone's really tried to to record but i just sort of watched them and they have at least the ones that i was looking at there are different tardigrades of course but the ones i was looking at had sort of like a little plunger thing on the front of their mouth where they on the front of their face where they like sucked in water or sucked in whatever they were Mm -hmm. so i sort of assumed okay well maybe that makes a little sort of like plunging noise and sort of i sort of added this little wheezing noise where they were like going and it was really cute and i was like that works for me did you make that noise and then just pitch it up? <laughs> no, no. I looked around on um, Freesound. I used Freesound extensively. That's where I got most of the effects for the season. And I think I just looked for little like plunger type sounds. Not not plunger as in like toilet plunger, but plunger as in like um, hypodermic plunger type thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And then um, creating the olfactory for Michelle was interesting because, again, it was an effect that there's no real real life equivalent so i tried to just think of it as like it was probably just doing a little spritz in the air when it gave that to you and so it's just this little like that's again i just found an effect that was like a little like spritz noise and just paired it up so that every time it happened it was twice and then just threw it in the background every time that michelle's in there talking about it so every so often there'll just be this little or as 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 lehman as lehman would say squirt 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 yeah Part of me likes to imagine that uh, Michelle has a well, uh, has has like just an array of little squirt bottles that he's that, that like he's, <laughs> he's talking to the computer, but the computer doesn't actually do anything. He just has to grab the squirt bottle. And go, 
<laughs> I mean, it's possible. <laughs> he does break it, though, in the finale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we we know it's an actual part of the, the station or the, the, uh, the base. Which was kind of an interesting um, thing to design, too, when I got to that, because I had to combine. Um, I'm not really great at combining into multiple effects that takes me a lot more time and that was i'll talk about wilder's wilder's arm in a second too but when you punch it at the end i had to sort of combine the punching and metal breaking at the same time and it's sort of losing that little squirt squirt noise mm. and it was kind of interesting creating that on the fly and then yeah that was probably the other really complex um series of design for it was wilder's arm right which i had no idea at all like i mean obviously i've heard um artificial limbs and cybernetic arms and sci-fi and stuff but figuring out what i could do that would make sense and that would give that impression i'm still not entirely sure i pulled it off to be honest but feels like a big piece of machinery to me which i mean that's fine maybe it is but uh it, it feels kind of it feels chunky yeah and that's fair um i kind of wanted it to be obvious enough that people were going to know what's going on and so i may have sort of overshot a little bit but what i did was i took i figured that they would be like standard servo motors and i took a um i think it was a camera lens effect it's like a camera lens like opening and closing and i played around with that and pitched it down a lot and stretched it out and messed around with it and i added some clicks behind it and when it starts going bad i started adding like metal stress noises behind it so you can hear that things are cracking going bad yeah i made again at the beginning of the season i made like probably three or four standard wilder's arm effects that i use most of the season and mm -hmm. then just sort of clip or turn backwards or something every once in a while so yeah, that was quite the experience too. The whole thing, this was that was the one part of it that I'd never done. I mean, I know about acting, I know about writing, I didn't know anything at all about sound design. So, I'm sure there are many people who do it better than I do. But I was absurdly proud when I would actually pull something off. <laughs> That's kind of the nice thing about podcasting in general, and and having a show that goes from a small scope to a larger scope is you can slowly ramp up to it. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can definitely hear even just from the beginning to the end of the season or from the beginning of the season to the stuff I'm doing now for like monkey tails episodes that I've gotten better or at least gotten better at making more intricate effects. Mm -hmm. Although I've also started farming a few episodes out to other people too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you, you only have 70 projects on the go and you're about one person. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about, uh, so you, obviously you're, you're an experienced writer. You've written a whole lot of stuff. Um, did you find uh, Evan was wanting to know that, did you find that whether the characters changed uh, once they were cast? There were a few tweaks to match the actors in particular. I mean, I think talking about when they were cast, they certainly changed from anything that I had thought about in season one. Well, before I wrote, but I tried to write, I think I had the first few episodes written before I did the casting. And so the changes once I had, I mean, from what I had written to what they cast, there were a few things. Um, when I cast um, Tozaman as Ashwini, I made Ashwini um, Bengali because Toe is Bengali. And since I wasn't married to anything beforehand that to make that um, match the, the actor who's portraying it. Um, for Alex, I gave Tineko more lines of Portuguese once I knew that he spoke it fluently. <laughs> I mean, that definitely helps. But having a chance to work on that and, of course, 
Um, he had um, more notes on the background of the character and what like it's like to actually live in Rio or Sao Paulo, because he's lived in both. Actually lives in Sao Paulo now, I believe. And um, stuff like Tina, I think, oh my God, just Wilder. I, I think Wilder became more Tina Daniels every time that we worked through a draft. <laughs> And at this point, I don't think I could possibly like untangle the two of them. <laughs> they are one. She would just give me these extensive takes of monologues, and she's probably the one who did the most ad libbing, which was great. And I encouraged that in first drafts because, I mean, who knows whether something's working for an actor better than the actor who's reading it. But she would just sort of just go off sometimes too and just ramble. And sometimes it would just be Tina, and sometimes it would be Tina as Wilder. And yeah, <laughs> it was pretty exciting. And I'm absolutely certain that as, as Wes Wilder developed through the season, when you hear her in like the last few episodes, that is a lot of stuff that Tina specifically brought to the table. Mm -hmm. You were mentioning um, that Tanico lives in Brazil. Did you have a particular reason that you set it in Brazil? Uh, and that is was uh, wanting to know. When I originally started it, I wanted to place it somewhere that wasn't just the US and Canada. I mean, everybody does tends to sort of like wind up there. And um, I have friends from there. My friend Mary, who's done our Portuguese translations is from Sao Paulo. And it just seemed like another interesting locale to look at. Everybody wants to know how the future affects North America. And I thought I could at least go a little bit different. And I know that there's a big launch pad near Rio, the Alcantara launch pad that they use for um, mostly satellite launches. But I knew there was somewhere that they could be legitimately sending people into space. I tried to, even though it's kind of silly, it's far enough in the future that, that all sorts of things could have happened as far as like developing other space programs. But I tried to stick to places where I know there are launch pads now and places where I know there are space tele telescopes now to sort of make those connections for the future as well. Uh, when you're writing season two, uh, Evan has uh, the question of whether anything in the story surprised you as uh, the bigger picture unfolded. It's, I mean, everything surprises you when you're writing a new part of the story. But I mean, as far as stuff that specifically didn't seem to come out of season one at all, I think Tumnus might be the biggest thing because... Like we refer several times in season one to, oh, everyone thinks Ashwini is talking to herself and thinks they're kind of a kook because of that. But, and I did always want that to be, oh, well, Z is talking to your computer, but I didn't really think so much of that computer developing as a character until I started um, sort of outlining season two. And then particularly when I cast my friend Jen Ponton in the part, mm -hmm. I was like having someone with that big a personality doing it it was hard to not sort of play with that personality in the character as well and then um i think writing alex was a little bit more of a surprise too because you don't know really really anything about alex as a character in season one alex is sort of just this like faceless name that you attach roger's desire to and roger's like loneliness to but then developing him as more of a character, especially near the end when he is telling you what's happened on Earth and he is like explaining why he has to leave. Like that was stuff I definitely didn't expect going in. And then we've done a bunch of fun flashback stuff since then. Um, the <laughs> only stuff that was that was technically season two was Dr. Just, which 
again, I had no idea at all that we were eventually going to do flashbacks. And I didn't, and these other characters that I had thrown around as just names like Dr. Ringling and Dr. Day are mentioned in season one, but you have no idea who they are. Oh, I don't remember them being mentioned. Do you remember what episode it is? Not off the top of my head. He does mention them. Roger mentions them at some point. He doesn't mention Dr. Just, but he mentions mm-hmm. Dr. Ringling and Dr. Day at some point. I'm pretty certain mm-hmm. because I had chosen those names on purpose. They were um, friends of mine. And so I just sort of thrown their names in just as a little tribute. But um, yeah, then they became Dr. Ringling and Dr. Day. Like <laughs> Ringling and Day sounds like it needs to be a spinoff. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but it does too. And like the names together sound like a comedy team. So it does. But yeah, so that was that was fun. And then, of course, we've done a lot of flashback stuff since then before the moon. But just to keep like stick to specifically season two, all the stuff in Dr. Just, I would never have imagined I was going to get to create like just Roger in that episode was a Roger that you never get to hear anywhere else. Oh, that was a that was a wonderful Roger. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. (laughs) It was a very um, radio DJ Roger and my. Constant references to Groundhog Day in that episode <laughs> kind of <laughs> punched it up. Better put on your booties because it's cold out there. It's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> did you find, um, so Trace wants to know, uh, did you find the shift from a single voice to multiple voices uh, changed your working process at all? Yeah, and we touched on this a little bit in talking about the process that I had to sort of adapt to people who needed a bit more direction than Lehman. And again, it's not saying that they were like in any way less qualified actors or less um, experienced actors. It's just that Lehman knows me. Lehman has like read my dialogue for as long as just about anyone. So um, having to learn to explain things more to the actors was a big deal. Um, Starting to slip in dialogue scenes was kind of a big deal to me because One of the things that I really enjoyed about switching to podcasts from writing plays in general was being able to control the pacing more deliberately. You don't get to choose how an actor says a line on stage, but once you give me your recorded lines for a podcast, I can add pauses anywhere I want. (laughs) But doing it in dialogue scenes is a lot different. And so starting to switch to that was definitely something I hadn't really worked on before. And then I think I've talked a little bit about editing as well how like editing takes from actors was a lot different from what i was used to with lehman uh tina wanted to know tina from our cast tina daniels was there something you thought would be challenging but wasn't something i thought would be challenging but wasn't i mean i thought all of it was going to be challenging but i think i expected finding the other characters voices in this story was going to be more difficult than it turned out to be after you know writing from roger's point of view for so long and creating them sort of in his image. But I think particularly since we found actors, every actor in this show has just been so amazing and has like jumped in and worked in developing the characters through the drafts and like through like individual consultations and working on them. And I really think that having just such a great cast that it was much easier to create the rest of the cast than I expected, the rest of the characters that I expected, especially since she asked Wilder. I'll just drop that in there for her and give her a little present. <laughs> uh, okay. And now we need to ask, uh, have they heard of Pokemon? <laughs> Who is the most likely to have an emulator? What version would they play? What's their favorite Pokemon? Is Pokemon still a thing or is it just vintage? All right. Some of those I'm not answering. 
um as far as i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of stick to have they heard of pokemon (laughs) try to get that one at least answered i mean i think wilder definitely does um i don't know if i've mentioned this before anywhere but wilder actually has um double degrees um in i think it's electrical engineering and media studies so part of the reason why she's so obsessed with the memes and everything is she has done extensive study in the media of previous eras and so i'm a hundred percent sure that she loves pokemon that she got into it and found like play ways that she could play it and tries to like talk to all of her friends about it and they don't care <laughs> um and i think ashwini still knows and probably still plays every once in a while ashwini seems to be um again fairly plugged into um a lot of media. <laughs> I mean, based on their fan fiction, they <laughs> their interests go quite a ways back. But um, I don't think anyone else really knows or cares. And I think Wilder probably got into it as much just because of the names as anything else. I have a feeling that she is quite fond of Squirtle. <laughs> it sounds like a name she would love. Um, what do you think? You you played a character. You were part of the show. Um, do you think that Michelle would know Pokemon? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't think he knows. And I think if he heard about it, he would think it was the stupidest thing. I think he's one. Of, he's definitely not into Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling it's a pretty niche thing. Um, again, I'd say probably Wilder or Sweeney. Not much of anybody else in the main cast would care. It's, again, like the meme thing where she goes on and on about it. And they're just sort of like, yeah, that's that. That's our Wilder again. Speaking of memes, we've got a couple of more questions from Anarissa. One of them is, um, will Roger ever find out what a doge is? And then also, <laughs> what are the favorite dairy milk flavors the characters like to eat? <laughs> will Roger ever find out what a doge is? I think, and again, this sort of ties to the last one. I think if he wanted to know, he already would. Wilder has given him lots of information. Wilder has given everyone lots of information about every meme that she knows of, and nobody cares. So I think he is never going to find out because <laughs> he doesn't know. He doesn't know, of course, why Doggo is so funny. Either. So, um, as far as dairy milk, <laughs> the dairy milk thing really sort of became a lot of little references that were just in season one sort of became a bigger thing in because of fans of the show and dairy milk somehow sort of became a bigger thing in this because of that. Um, there are jokes all through it. There's a joke, a nice joke in the um, Wi-Fi sci-fi minisode about dairy milk that I hope I'll get to share with everybody some someday. Um, but yeah, I think most people are happy to take what they can get. <laughs> they don't really care that much. Getting any chocolate on base theta is apparently a struggle. So Ashwini and Roger, I'm sure, are purists and only want, you know, the plain regular dairy milk. They don't want any mix-ins or weird stuff i'm sure wilder wants them to send every like new wild flavor up wilder's the one who would try like durian or bonito flakes or anything they wanted to mix in the chocolates (laughs) and i think nessa would probably you know go along with her just for the new experiences michelle probably a dark chocolate purist he could be i think he might like the fruit and nut as well maybe i think fruit and nuts might be you know acceptable mix-ins i like the fruit and nut yeah, see, there you go. So that works. It's typecasting. Um, Alex, I don't think, likes sweets much at all. So I don't think he cares much for chocolate. Hmm. But Alex doesn't really have to worry about it anyway. Alex can walk to the corner store and get dairy milk if he wants to. So 
Oh, here's a question. Another one from Tina. After working, after um, getting to know the cast of season two and kind of hearing the reactions to it, is there anything, and maybe you don't have, have to tell us what, but is there anything that you uh, regret or that you would retcon if you could? <laughs> that seems like a minefield waiting to, to be unexplored. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have any big regrets. I mean, there's a good chance that um, things that I haven't gotten to use yet could still show up. But I mean, one of the beautiful things about doing a little indie audio drama that has no restraints and no one paying the bills, but some Patreon backers is I can throw in anything I want. So anything that I really wanted to do, I think I got done. Um, I feel like the season became what I really wanted to. I feel like we had a good chance to explore each character. The things that I really want to do that I haven't done, of course, are again, like planned for season three or also I've gotten to slip in a bunch with the before the moon episodes as well. Um, the before the moon stuff will start showing up in our regular feed in June. And I think that once we get to share those with a bigger audience as well, that it's going to be interesting to see how people react to that. As far as stuff that I'd like to put in that I haven't yet, I'm still trying to bring in more uh, multicultural elements. I'd like to show more of what's happened in other places in the world. Um, again, trying not to just focus on the Americas and I have some plans already in that vein for season three. So yeah, not so much regrets, but things that I haven't gotten to. And our last question that we'll get to before we kind of uh, start moving into, Oh, what are we going to talk about next? Maybe what, what could be coming in the future? Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Leslie wanted to know, um, did the success of season one uh, intimidate you at all in the creation of season two? And if so, how did you press forward? <laughs> as flattering as that is, I'm not sure if the um, extreme success of season one is necessarily how I would ex like, describe it. I mean, it was far more successful than I expected. But I mean, we went from, again, you mentioned 8,000 downloads at the end of um, season one to where at currently we just broke 150,000 downloads now. So I honestly think that season two took off more than I expected. But um, as far as the pressure I felt going from season one to season two, like I mentioned before, just trying to convince the audience they're going to want to hear the same story again was probably the biggest thing making that decision and really like committing to it meant that I had to find even in Roger's monologues ways to make sure I wasn't just telling people things they should, they would already know, but expanding it in interesting ways and adding to the background of the story each time. And I mean, again, bringing in a bunch of talented people to help me with that made a huge difference. <laughs> there are always, um, sort of two ways that I keep myself creating, keep myself writing projects. And the first one is always bringing in other amazing people, whether they're writers or actors or editors or anything that add their own energy to the mix. And I mean, people who then I don't want to let down <laughs> and making like really public commitments to like the future of projects. So that again, I feel like people are paying enough attention that I don't want to drop the ball. And I did both of those <laughs> moving into season two. So <laughs> I think that's how I kept myself going. So we've answered your questions. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I have any questions for you. Do you have any questions for me? Um, 
how did you feel about the fact, and you like gave me some feedback on things and helped me to tweak some things as we went through, but how did you feel about um, creating a character who had gone through some of the same struggles you've gone through? That's interesting. Um, I know that's kind of a personal question and you can tell me no if you don't want to answer it, <laughs> but I just, I felt like in, in, in ways that like were probably a lot closer than some of the other character actors to their characters, there were things that Michelle went through that are kind of um, connected. And I'm wondering if that was okay, if that bothered you, if it didn't really come into it as much. It's interesting because Michelle is such a different person in a lot of ways for me, like more, uh, more of a jock, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> more, physically active and more uh way more confrontational like uh, to the point where it's almost the opposite of me like everything he does is confrontation and i try to make it so that zero percent of anything i do is like to a fault honestly um so <laughs> it I think uh, the big difference is like for me, I, I don't think I would ever be in a position of I'm in a public place and I need to transition and you're going to know about it. I mean, honestly, I'm not even out at work, although if anybody asked me, I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I'm just it's not um, something that I necessarily feel like I need other people to uh, I don't need to get that from the outside quite as much as Michelle definitely does. So we're such different people. It's it's very interesting that I, I think that's kind of true to the trans experience, of course, because so many of us have totally different experiences. It's not like there's one narrative. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. For so sure. but I felt that his struggle was realistic and that his it was nice to have somebody dealing with that kind of. um that kind of issue i'm glad that his character wasn't completely focused on it um i think it would have been less comfortable with that but i think it's also okay for that to be part of his yeah he was much more focused on being a dick yeah he was very focused on just just, just being a dick <laughs> like he's that's the main thrust of this character <laughs> he's a dick um and you know the reason that he's a dick is not because he's trans yeah uh, he's just that's one of the things that people can use against him and that he can feel that their people are using against him yeah and i mean i tried and again like you were really helpful in telling me when you thought things didn't work or when you thought that like a, a line change would make a difference here and there and i tried really hard to make sure that no one was deliberately using that against him either like other than people in the enclave who are jerks to start with people who even outdicked michelle amazingly enough <laughs> yeah. uh. that naughty enclave officer <laughs> that was a fun scene <laughs> to do uh, i'm i'm glad people are gonna you know i hope our patreon folks have enjoyed it but i, I know when it hits a wider audience there's going to be people who go oh gee wish i'd gotten in on this sooner because <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that episode's fun, and but then, uh, you know, every episode of the Before the Moon has been like, oh, oh, this is a cool perspective. I'm looking forward to this. So, and um, how has it been for you, um, moving over into a production role? Do you feel like that's changed um, how you look at the show as a cast member? Do you feel like um, you've enjoyed sort of like creating the sense of community, which you've definitely done a lot more than I was able to do? Um, 
I've certainly tried, although you you did so much of the groundwork. I've basically just had to to keep you you know like you you already had the your finger in the hole in the dike, and I just had to go over and stick my finger in so you could go do other things. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, occasionally another hole would poke up, but like you know, I wouldn't have even known that there was a dike there if you hadn't told. Like you know, so um, I don't know. I'm I need to get better at it. There's a lot of things that I want to that I want to learn in terms of I would like to be better at marketing and um, networking and doing all those things. Uh, I I have a problem with um How would I describe this? Uh, I don't want to bother people. And that's very bad when you're trying to market something yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> but uh, I hate, I hate being like, Hey, check out my thing. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I don't want to interrupt people, but also, Hey, check out my thing, you know, um, <laughs> I'm going to have to buckle down real hard when we get to like looking at how we're going to raise funds for season three, because that's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. And I'm going to need to do a, a good chunk of that because you're going to be busy making season three into words that we can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have to start talking about that soon. Yes. I mean, we've got a few things to say today as well, but I mean, we need to start having talks about that offline or off chat. <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're gonna keep this one to ourselves. Sorry, folks, <laughs> but we do have a little bit of uh, little tidbits that we can uh, uh, dole out to yeah. you just to whet your appetite. We make our clumsy segue to the end of our list of notes here. <laughs> you have a few notes here that uh, maybe you maybe let slip on on Patreon. Yeah, I was trying to, and this was like a month, month and a half ago when. Um, I have a pretty full notes file right now for season three. I have, I think nine pages of notes at this point for season three that I haven't really, again, I sort of start work by just collecting random notes and that's all it is yet. But I know the big um, arcs. I know what's going to happen generally with the characters. I know where the season ends getting there from where we start out is going to be an experience, but I made up a list of sort of vague little things that I mentioned on Patreon, and I thought I would sort of include those here as well. I'll just go through them, and then if you have comments or questions after any of them, we can, we can pause in between each. Um, the first thing is the season is going to start right, right where it ended, like immediately after Tumnus, Tumnus revealed themselves to Roger. Um, we're probably going to do actually a bit of a prologue that is just focused on those two characters before we start into the main season three. So that's that's the big probably one of the biggest things is we are starting immediately from where we left off. By prologue, is that like a bonus episode um, before things start, maybe? Um, I'm not sure yet. The um, action of what happens in that prologue is going to wind up sort of shaping it because... Um, the first thing that Tumnus and Roger have to learn to do together is, although it may be kind of kind of obvious, is a fairly big thing. And so just sort of getting them through that process, I'm just going to explore and see what where that takes us. But so it may be a series of like minisodes. It may be a bonus episode before the season. But I definitely have that in mind as a sort of a little prologue because that's going to be them working together before we like get anywhere with the main plot of season three. Um, the second one is similarly on Earth. We're going to be starting right away from um, finding out that Alex and Maudie Sarah have made their way into this new community in Cape Canaveral. And so there's going to be a full plot line focused on what's going on down there as well. 
Cape Canaveral. That sounds familiar. Doesn't it, though? Again, I said I just tried to sort of focus on um, places where I know there's going to be all of that tech waiting. Dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Next point, there are going to be some significant new characters in both locations, on the moon and on Earth. So I've already got at least a few, like, big characters that are going to be involved in the plotline both places that we're going to be casting new people we're going to be adding some new folks probably hearing back from some that you may not expect as well but um we are definitely going to be adding new folks to expand the world a bit that's going to be exciting (laughs) um another little subplot is going to be we're going to dig deeper into the corporate systems on earth we've never really talked at all about how things run or how things are actually going down there by the end of the season. And so we're going to tell a little bit more of that story. And it's not just to give more lines to the enclave officer, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh no. Are we going to have to hear some more from that? Dashing. I'm I'm guessing very good looking. (laughs) Well, you know, he is just, you know, writing off the top of my head, he is dashingly good looking and, you know, I think most people around him have a crush on him at all times. <laughs> um, the next thing, there's going to be more original poetry in the show. Um, in the season two finale, we added the first um, original poem that Roger wrote to um, Alex, which actually was an older piece of mine that I sort of integrated to the show. But we're definitely going to do more of that, um, probably more original poetry instead of using more um, previous, more more like existing poetry, existing poets. Um, I think Roger's gotten a little bit of a taste for it. And now that he's completely out of touch with Alex, he's brooding and needs a way to sort of get that out. And what better way to brood and get your feelings out than bad poetry? Oh man, he's going to have like an emo haircut and he's going <laughs> to be wearing a striped shirt and uh, it's going to be great. You mean yelling at Tumnus that they don't understand him. Um, the structure, and I've sort of hinted at this, but the structure is probably going to change to a lot more dialogue in season three, um, because it's going to be a lot more active. Um, and we're never going to completely get rid of the monologues. I love those. They're too good for revealing character, but we're probably going to hear a lot more dialogue scenes. Are you thinking that you'll be doing a recording uh, asynchronously or trying to get people together when possible? I think some of it's going to depend. Um, it's hard to make that decision until I do some writing. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're going to wind up having characters with six or seven people, it's probably still too difficult to do like simultaneous. But if I have like a bunch of um, scenes over the over the season that are like just like Alex and Maudie Sarah or something like that, then I may try to get them together and play with those live. We wound up doing a lot of that for before the moon episodes, and I've really enjoyed getting the chance to rehearse lives and to play live with the actors. I feel like it gives you a certain like energy and spontaneity that is harder to capture with just like folks recording their lines on their own and sending them in. Um, my next point, um, this probably comes into it anyway. Um, I'm it's probably something you could guess anyway, but pay close attention to those before the moon episodes when they come out. Like we've been, where are we at? We're at, I think five just came out on the Patreon and we start with, with the episode one on the regular feed in June, but pay close attention to those every before the moon episode we've put out so far has hints to things that are going to happen in season three. 
Ooh. They aren't just about the flashbacks. Like I didn't, I don't know if I intended that, but every one of them has had stuff in it that is like directly leading to plot lines in season three. That's awesome. Um, there is still more to hear about Nessa and her story, which again has been so amazing and so well portrayed by Elisa Park. Um, I can't imagine not finding some way to integrate a few more messages or a few more stories. Um, we're not going to change anything. I have sworn that I would never try to, um, I think it would be way too corny to try to like bring Nessa back or something like that, but I'm not planning on changing plot lines, but there's a lot more that you haven't heard and I'm going to try to integrate some of that. I seem to remember uh, Elisa had a great um, comment in one of our uh, Patreon bonuses where we asked people uh, in the cast how they felt about season two uh, and, and what they thought about, you know, what was going to happen next. And she she said, I'm going to, I'm back, baby. And <laughs> she was going to like have Nessa come back. as like a Terminator kind of situation. I was like, okay, I can get on board for this fanfic. Please let somebody write this. <laughs> I can't believe we have fanfic. I really wish I could look at it. Um, we have two more things here. They're kind of silly, but um, there is at least one bullet point right now in my season three notes that includes the word ensoyment. <laughs> so you, you have not heard the last of ensoyment, and it is important enough that I have actually put it in my notes instead of just making jokes about it. So I seriously think we need, uh, we need some graphic design around ensoyment so we can get some ensoyment merch. <laughs> That's definitely true. And the last thing, um, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I promise, I solemnly swear to each of you who loves the show, nothing, nothing will ever happen to Cass and Paul. There is, I cannot make that claim for anyone else in the show. There are a lot of things that could happen, a lot of ways things could go wrong, but our doggo friends are safe forever. I would never hurt a dog. So on the uh, does the dog die.com website, make sure yes, it says, I am you know, safe. does not. <laughs> <laughs> Never. The rest of <laughs> the rest of the earth may be a cinder, but Kath and Paul will be standing on that cinder. <laughs> yep. Frolicking around. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing the ball. Yep. Everything's fine for Kath and Paul. I promise. All right. Is there anything in particular about uh, like the structure of season three or anything that you want to talk about more? I mean, I feel like you've kind of given a, a nice glimpse just through those points, but um, I mean, it's coming. It's a ways down the line. <laughs> yeah. I think the big thing is just that we are like getting close to actually starting it now. There was a lot that I wanted to get done before we could dive into it. Um, the biggest thing was finishing up the um, before the moon mini series, which I have one more episode to do script revisions on and then that side of it's done so I can start working on something else, writing all the time. So I, it's going to be very soon that Cass and I are going to start sitting down and figuring out how to take my wild ideas and make them possible. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. But yeah. And of course, like just so many thanks to every one of you. I just can't imagine wanting to do a season three or getting to a season three without the amazing support we've gotten the people talking about the show the people supporting us on patreon the people making jokes and like gifts and writing fanfic of all things and just the community we have on discord i just 
can't find words when I think about the stuff that the show has become. I never could have imagined it. If you want to drive Deej nuts, write fanfic because they can't read it. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> But knowing it's there makes them really happy, but also they're really curious. So, like, you know, write fanfic and put lots of really good tags. <laughs> yeah, in fact, what you could really do is just go into AO3 and just, like, add a bunch of interesting titles and put, like, one sentence in because I can't click through so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah there's so many ways that you can taunt our creator <laughs> <laughs> i want tardigrade fanfic <laughs> i don't even know how what that would look like but i want it to now just focused on the tardigrades they had lines and dr just they can become characters oh yeah that's true they could come to every character in their moment of stress and give them advice <laughs> little tardigrades come to me saying let it be <laughs> I think we've covered a fair amount of ground. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. I, I hope that you enjoy this and I hope that you are well and safe and uh, we are thinking about you and uh, keep watching the moon. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Mount Absalom, a community, a heritage, a home. The green jewel in the majestic crown of Ohio. For 200 years, Mount Absalom has been a place to play. N32. Bingo! A place to learn. For in thy green and growing arms... We have everything we need. All right. Now let's get out our math homework. A place to work. Here at the Celery Bottling Works, we produce over 2,000 bottles of celery soda every day. A place to raise a family. It's a girl. It's a place of history. And here we have the barrel of whiskey that Confederate soldiers stole from Mount Absalom patriot Amelia Pleasance during Morgan's raid. And of course, a place of celery. 201st Celery Festival, I dub thee Open! Mount Absalom is the perfect place for making memories. For making memories. For making memories. For making memories. Make your memories with us. Make your memories here. Mount Absalom. Paid for by the Delphi Quarter of Mount Absalom and Celeric Bottling Works. Refreshing Celeric Soda and Diet Celeric Soda. Ah. Midwestern Gothic Mystery. Learn more at unwellpodcast.com.